0: THE SIEGE OF NEW HAMPSHIRE SERIES, BY MCROLAND BOOK ONE, PLAN B REVISED CHAPTER THIRTEEN, DEADLY PROBLEM The past two days had provided more than enough exciting events to put anyone on edge. A house fire, a gunfight, a dead body, a knife attack. Martin had noticed that even during the quiet times, when adrenaline was not running strong, he still could not relax. He chalked it up to heightened situational awareness as they traveled through unfamiliar territory. He had expected that when he got to more familiar roads, he would feel some degree of relief, some sense of comfort. He was in familiar country at last, but he felt more uneasy, not less. Averill Road was part of his old daily routine to his carpool. That job connection set him to thinking about his downtown job. The long walk had given him ample time to run out the what-ifs of a grid-down situation. The prospects weren't encouraging. From what little news he had gleaned, many major components of the power grid all around the nation, perhaps even the world, had all failed around the same time. Unlike the popular EMP scenario that Brian often talked about, this crisis had left all of the delicate electronics intact. Cars with their computerized engines still ran. Smartphones still functioned. Even his laptop still powered up. The problem wasn't the delicate electronics, but the power grid that supported them. Without the grid, consumer communication systems had fallen away, piece by piece. Some of the cell towers stayed alive, their generators chugging along on a weak supply of propane, but the network that they were connected to had too many components relying on the grid. Martin's phone still powered up, but there was no network for it to connect to. Highly computerized cars still ran, but without the electrical grid to power the gas stations, storage depots, and refineries, how long would there be fuel to run them? No power and no Internet meant that his job couldn't be performed. As of two days ago, he probably didn't have a job any longer. In a career sense, it could be the end of the world as he knew it. But not the end of the world. Aside from hunkering down to deal with the power outage, what was he going to do with himself long term? You've been awfully quiet, Susan said. Uh, Uh-huh, have I? She rolled her eyes. At least back in the city, there were horns and sirens and people yelling at each other. I'd welcome some crickets about now. How far is your house from here? Hmm, eight miles, maybe? At our pace, that's roughly, what, maybe four hours? Oh, that sounds about right. Four long, quiet hours, she added with melodrama. Martin chuckled. Okay, okay. He was about to summarize his dark musings, but stopped. He had been theorizing how the economy that everyone relied upon would collapse for lack of a power grid and fuel. He had imagined how millions of average citizens would be cast adrift without supplies and without an income to acquire more. An improvised economy might develop but most people would be like himself with professions that no one needed. Many would become desperate. Trouble was certain. He had run out of ramifications for himself. But what about Susan? If his pessimistic side was right, a bank branch in downtown Boston would not be open for business as usual for quite a long time. Maybe never. He felt some relief that he was able to help Susan not to get stuck in a mess like La Quinta but what was she to do long term? Did he expect that she would simply stay living in Lindsay's room forever? He realized that he hadn't thought very deeply on that score. Susan cleared her throat. throat) You know, I was expecting a bit more conversation than just okay, okay. Martin smiled apologetically. He didn't want to parade his pessimism. People prefer hope. His optimistic side could imagine that the multiple equipment failures in the grid could be resolved, just like that substation in San Jose was eventually repaired. Maybe it would take three months instead of one, but come spring, things would begin to return to normal. Hope did make for better conversation. "'Oh, well, I was running through various what-to-do plans in my mind,' he said. Things like, what should I do right away when I get home?' what do I need to do later? I was getting kind of stuck on the later stuff. It's a lot harder to figure. I mean, maybe they can get things fixed in uh, a while, he tried to smile. Might get fixed slowly, so until then, things might be, uh, well, different than usual. Yeah, I've been thinking about that sort of thing, too, she said. Oh, Martin was curious how she was picturing her future it would make for better conversation to take a cue from her vision than to run off down his own dark trails martin pointed to a section of guardrail what do you say we take a rest up there i'm feeling pretty tired already susan nodded he passed her the water bottle and tore into half of the big biscuit that pat gave them in the car i've been doing a lot of thinking too she said after taking a long drink I've never been in a power outage that lasted more than a couple days, so it's hard for me to imagine things not returning to normal fairly soon. I mean, they always did before, right? I just have to wait it out with candles and graham crackers until the lights come back on. I really want to think that this just might last a week, maybe two. The branch will reopen, I'll find some other apartment, and pick up where I left off. Take my test, become an associate, life would go on. It would be nice if things got up and running in just a few weeks, he said with his mouth full. He was trying to curb his pessimism and let his optimist speak. Yeah, she said as she tore off a tuft of her half of the biscuit, but what if things don't get fixed any time soon and the lights don't all pop back on? Mr. Skinner used to lecture us about revenue streams, you know, for personal loans and stuff. She imitated Mr. Skinner's voice. The bank expects our loan customers to dependably make repayments. Applicants must have an income stream that is regular and dependable. Martin chuckled. You do a pretty good, Mr. Skinner. Susan smiled. Oh, thanks. I've had practice. Whenever he talked about reliable incomes, I always thought of myself as having one. I wouldn't say I felt smug or anything, but but I thought I had a pretty dependable job. I was okay. Thought? Martin noticed her use of the past tense. Yeah, I think it was while we were in those neighborhoods in Stoneham, seeing all of those people standing around because they couldn't go to work, I got to realizing that if this outage is going to be as bad as it sounds, all of the retail customers that I would have dealt with will be out of work and probably fighting over boxes of minute rice. The odds are that my State Street branch isn't going to be reopened for a long time if ever. I could easily see the home office scaling back the number of branches. I might not have a job anymore. Martin pushed the last of his biscuit into his mouth and nodded sympathetically. That was one of the reasons I decided to take you up on your offer, she said, without looking at him. It still sounds crazy for me to just walk off to the North Pole, she flashed a brief smile at him. But if I had to start over— The North Pole sounds better than a city full of fights. I had my little future plans built around moving up to associate. Now I have no idea what starting over will look like. Martin sighed and nodded. Me either. But we better get going. We need to get home first before we can do much of anything. Susan popped the last of her biscuit in her mouth and handed him the backpack. It was her turn to pull the roller bag. As they approached a cul-de-sac of newish homes, the puttering hum of several portable generators grew louder. "'Sounds like almost everyone up here has a generator,' she said. "'Well, many do. Sales usually boom after an ice storm. With houses like those down there, they're kind of crucial. Did you notice that none of those houses has a real chimney?' Susan squinted down the cul-de-sac. "'Well, now that you mention it—' "'Usually it's oil-heat.' Sometimes propane, but they need electricity to run their furnaces, so they need a generator. Well, how long can one of those generators run? She pointed to the houses. Well, there's lots of variables, but if they were careful, I'd guess that most folks have enough gas on hand for a week. That's usually plenty for the yearly ice storm. They're so loud, she said. I don't think I'd like all that noise beside my house. Yeah, you'd think they could make them quieter don't know why they don't. I mean, the whole house generators, those are pretty quiet. Why can't these, too? I was helping a widow lady in the church with her big whole house generator to get set up. I was surprised how quiet it ran. Seems like we haven't gone all that far, Susan said, but I think I'm going to be ready for a rest soon. Sounds good. This hill is wearing me out, too. It's not all that steep until nearer the top but this slope is like a couple of miles long. Not much for seating along this stretch. Mostly it's just trees. Martin pointed to a small yard in front of a modest blue house. What isn't trees is somebody's yard. I feel a little odd just sitting in somebody's yard or driveway. How about up there? Susan gestured with the tip of her head. There's a low, rubbly line of rocks up ahead there. We could sit on a couple of big rocks. Good enough for me, Martin said. The tumble-down rock wall bordered the yard of an old gray, ranch-style home. This house must have one of those whole-house generators you were talking about. I wouldn't mind that sound so much, Susan said. Martin could hear the well muffled put put putt but something struck him odd. Big wattage stationary generators cost several thousands of dollars. They're typically optional equipment on the McMansions. The little gray house was old and shabby. The shutters needed paint. Years ago. It does kind of sound like one, Martin said, but this doesn't look like the kind of house that would have one of those. As they walked past the house, Martin kept looking at it. The asphalt driveway had many cracks and weeds growing up. One window was broken and patched with packing tape. Something's not right here, Martin said. Look at this house. Whoever lives here has been scrimping on upkeep even the inexpensive maintenance stuff like paint. Why would they spend several thousands of dollars on a fancy generator and yet have broken windows? I want to take a quick peek, just to satisfy my curiosity. Peek at what? Where are you going? Just uh, look around back to see there... He stopped. There's no generator back here. He leaned his ear near the small attached garage. It's coming from inside the garage. His eyes quickly scanned the back of the house. All of the windows were closed except for the back window of the garage, which was open, just a few inches at the top. He ran back around to the overhead door and peered in through the small windows. There it is, he said. Susan came to peer in the other window. A little portable, see that? The extension cord runs to the back door, which isn't fully closed. Martin ran up to the front door and knocked urgently. He paced back and forth on the small wooden porch. What is it? Susan asked. His worry was contagious. Carbon monoxide. I'm worried that somebody might be in there. He pounded on the door. Hello? Hello? Is anybody in there? Hello? No answer came. Martin stood on tiptoes to peer through the high fanlight in the door. Maybe no one is home. Maybe they left the generator to charge some batteries while they were gone. No, said Susan, her hands cupped at the living room window. There's someone sitting in a chair in the living room. Martin jumped down and rapped on the window. "'Hey! Hey, in there! Open the door! Come open the door!' he shouted. The old man in the stuffed chair turned his head slowly and stared blankly at Martin and Susan. "'Hello!' Martin shouted. He waved. "'Hey! Please come unlock the door! You're in danger!' The man stared with no expression, then burped up a little thread of vomit. "'Oh, my God!' Martin said. "'He's stuporous. He won't come to the door.' We have to get him out of there, Susan exclaimed. Martin ran to the rear of the house. The back door was locked. He tried to lift up the lower sash of the garage window, but it wouldn't budge. The upper sash wouldn't slide down either. They must have these things pinned. I can't get in this way, he said to himself. Martin ran back to the front and jumped onto the porch. Remembering movies that he had seen, he began kicking at the door latch. It looked a whole lot easier in the movies. The door held. Susan picked up one of the rocks that lined the sidewalk and pointed to the small sash beside the picture window. Martin jumped down amid the bushes. "'Pull the roller bag over here. I need some height.' He stepped up, looked away, and struck the upper window. He carefully cleared away the shards, unlocked the window, and pushed up the sash. He hopped off the roller bag. "'Okay, now, take a deep breath and go unlock the door.' "'Me?' "'Yes, you. It's a really little window.' I won't fit, but you will. Here, I'll give you a boost up. Remember, take a deep breath first, then try to hold it. Avoid breathing the monoxide. Be very careful of the glass on the floor, too. Martin helped her step up. Susan had to angle herself and wriggle through the narrow window frame. She eased down onto the floor and scrambled over to the front door. Martin could hear the locks turning. He took a deep breath as Susan flung open the door. The air was stale and smelled of vomit and acrid with exhaust fumes. They both rushed over to the man in the stuffed chair. They each took an arm and tried to lift him, but the old man was a dead weight and hard to lift. He stared at them with a vaguely confused look. Martin pulled and Susan pushed to roll the man over the arm of the stuffed chair. They had to struggle to drag the man toward the open door. "'Stop right there!' shouted a nervous bearded man in the doorway. Martin was staring at the muzzle of a semi-automatic pistol, held in a tense, full-extension grip. The man's finger was on the trigger. He was breathing fast and shallow. "'Oh, jeez, not again,' Martin thought. "'What the hell you think you're doing?' the man shouted. "'What have you done to him? So help me, I'll—' "'It's carbon monoxide,' said Martin, as loudly, but as calmly as he could, before the bearded man could rant any further. "'What?' the man looked up over his sights. Carbon monoxide! There's a generator running in the garage! This man's unresponsive! We're trying to get him out of the house, fast! The bearded man looked at the old man, yellow drool dripping from his chin. Holy. Dad! The man hastily stuffed the gun into his waistband and took the arm that Susan had been holding up. Martin and the bearded man struggled to get the old man down the front steps and laying in the front yard. Dead weight with rubber legs was an awkward load. Dad! Dad! Can you hear me? Dad! The old man turned his head toward the bearded man, but stared past him. Is there anyone else in the house? Martin asked. The bearded man gasped and looked back to the house. Mom! I'll help you look, Martin said. Susan, try to keep him on his side, so if he barfs again, he won't choke on it. Susan looked shocked, but nodded. Martin and the bearded man ran back into the house. There was no one in the kitchen or the side bedroom. They found the old woman sitting on the bathroom floor, barefoot, with a brush tangled in her hair. "'Oh, good God, Mom!' The man squatted in front of the woman and patted her face. "'Mom!' "'Uh, Jimmy?' She said, with half-opened eyes. "'Be a dear. Help me to bed.' "'We need to get her outside, too, and fast,' said Martin. They carefully lifted the old woman. She was much lighter and felt fragile. It was easier to get her out into the yard.' You need to lie down here, Mom, Jim said. She tried to get up off of the brown grass. No, no, no. Lie down, Mom. That's right. Yeah, you just you just rest. So cold. Must be a window open, she said. "Ah, uh, yeah. I'll get the window, Mom. Jim was scared, but tried to sound comforting. We'll watch them, Martin said. Run back in and get a bunch of blankets. They need to stay out here in the fresh air. Jim ran into the house. Martin turned to Susan. I'll be right back. I want to go shut that generator off. Try to keep them lying down. Martin took in as big a breath as he could, then ran through the open front door. Moving through the living room, he saw a coffee mug on the floor and a big coffee stain on the carpet. More coffee was splashed on the lamp table. Across the arm of the stuffed chair were splotches of yellow vomit. He followed the orange extension cord from the kitchen to the back door and out into the garage. He flicked off the switch of the little generator. It puttered to a stop. Martin burst out of the rear door of the garage to gulp a lungful of fresh air. His eyes watered from the exhaust fumes. In the front yard, Susan and Jim were wrapping blankets around the old couple. A young woman came running down the path between the trees that separated the two house lots. Oh, my God, Jimmy! What's going on? Are they hurt? I don't know, Myra. They're alive, but I I don't know. What happened? Who who are these people? Myra asked her husband. We were walking by your parents' place, Martin said. I heard the generator running in the garage, so I knocked on the door. Uh, No one answered. Oh, Dad, Jim squeezed the shoulder of the old man. He's been so worried that someone was going to steal his generator. I tried to tell him we could work something out. I'm surprised he did something stupid like this. He had the rear window open, said Martin. He must have thought that that would be enough venting. But the extension cord kept the rear door open a crack. The exhaust was going into the house, too. We could see him sitting in the chair, added Susan, but he looked all groggy. We had to get him out fast, said Martin. Sorry about the window. Jim waved off Martin's apology. I'm glad you guys came along when you did. "'And I'm sorry about coming at you guys with my gun, "'but uh, I thought you were breaking into my parents' house.' "'Well, that's okay,' Martin said. "'I'm sure that's what it looked like. "'It's a good thing you were watching and came right over. "'We might not have gotten your mother out in time. "'You probably saved her.' Jim looked up from wiping yellow drool off of his father's face. Martin helped Jim adjust the blankets around the old man. The old man's eyes popped open and latched onto Martin. He turned onto his side pointed an unsteady finger at Martin and ranted something incoherent. His son knelt behind him, coaxing him to lie down. Myra stroked the old woman's hair. What do we do, Jimmy? We can't just call for an ambulance. We can't take him to the hospital. You haven't put the truck back together yet. All we've got is your motorcycle. I'm not sure how much the hospital could help now, anyhow. They'll have their hands pretty full with this outage, Martin said. If the ambulance came, they'd give him oxygen. Do you or your parents have oxygen tanks in the house, Uh, CPAP machines? No, nothing like that. Do you do any welding, anything like that? No. Does this mean they're going to die? Well, not necessarily, but they're in rough shape. Martin tried to summon his doctor voice again. Their bodies need to work out the monoxide. Without pure oxygen, it could take a long time. How long is a long time? Jim asked. Martin shrugged. Hours? "'Could be a day or two. "'They can't just lie in the yard for two days,' objected Myra. "'No, but they can't go back in their house until it's really well aired out.' "'We'll take them over to our house,' said Jim. "'Well, that's good,' said Martin. "'But they need to stay as inactive as they can, "'so their bodies don't use up what little oxygen capacity they still have. "'They can get oxygen from the fresh air, "'but it takes a lot longer than from an oxygen tank.' The old man sat up and began to rant again. Who oh, is uh, uh, Arana? This time, Myra knelt beside her husband, providing additional screening. He gets agitated every time he looks at you, Myra said to Martin. I see that. They need to be kept still, though. Minimize their body's oxygen needs. They could still pass out. Arana out out of my. Uh. The old man had propped himself up again, peeking at Martin over Myra's shoulder. He stared, wild-eyed, at Martin. Jim and Myra had to work at laying him back down. Jim spoke over his shoulder. "'Look, we're really, really grateful that you guys came along and saved my parents, but he gets all worked up whenever he sees you. If we're supposed to keep him quiet—' "'I know, I know,' said Martin. "'It seems like I'm doing more harm than good by staying here.' They're just really, really confused, said Myra. Uh, We'll explain it all to them later, uh, when they're better. Uh, Thank you both so much. Martin motioned for Susan to back away and stay low. Maybe you can carry them into your house later, when they seem a little more coherent, Martin said quietly. They still need to be kept as inactive as possible for a day or two before the monoxide is really out of their systems. He recalled what a paramedic told him about the possible lingering damage from carbon monoxide poisoning, but thought it would only add distress. stress. They were doing what they could. Myra smiled a worried smile and gave a little wave. Jim was busy talking to his father, who was finally lying back on the blankets, muttering. Martin walked briskly up the road. Maybe we can get some of their neighbors to help them, he said over his shoulder. Martin remembered how Kevin had trouble getting people to answer the doors, so he tried to keep his tone light and friendly and invoked the names of Jim and Myra as much as he could. Nonetheless, no one answered the door at the Blue Cape or the Gray Colonial. At the little black-and-white cape, a lady cautiously answered the door. She and her husband knew Jim's parents somewhat. Martin explained the problem briefly. Neither the man nor his wife had any oxygen tanks nor did they know of anyone who did. Martin suggested they could help by bringing some more blankets and helping Jim and Myra move the parents indoors. Maybe drive into Nutfield to get some kind of help. The two rushed back inside, a flurry of activity. They loaded several blankets into their car and sped off. Martin could see through the door window that they had left their teenage son in charge of the house with a 12-gauge shotgun. The boy looked nervous at his sudden new duties. I need to sit down a while, Martin said. The quicker pace of rushing from house to house had left him more winded than he expected. But let's go out by the road. Maybe just sit by a planter they have out there. I don't want to make this young guy any more nervous than he already is. I sure don't need anyone else pointing guns at me. Susan nodded. Martin eased himself down onto the rock wall of the planter. His thighs ached. I don't know what else we could do for those folks. At least Myra and Jim will have some help, Susan offered. Do you think they'll be okay? I don't know. I'm no doctor, Martin rubbed his face. They had a pretty heavy dose of monoxide, even in a hospital with oxygen. Could take a long time. No telling how long it'll take to clear their systems with plain old air. Hopefully there's no lasting damage. They resumed their trudge up the long and gradual slope of the hill. This outage is the craziest thing I've ever been in, said Susan. I've been through a few outages, but people don't go around robbing anyone or stealing cars. No one I ever knew died in one. This is just, well, crazy. I'm a little surprised, too, to be honest, Martin said. Somehow I think I always figured people would tough things out, you know, with stiff upper lips, as the British would say. Boston strong and all that. I really didn't picture fist fights at hotels or criminals getting so bold. Now, if someone told me L.A. or Detroit had broken into riots and looting on the first day, I wouldn't have been surprised. But Boston? Stoneham? My dad was all worried because I was moving into the city, Susan said. I remember reassuring him that there were only a few rough neighborhoods and I'd stay well clear of them. Martin nodded in agreement. Yeah, by and large, sleepy old Boston's a pretty quiet place. I really couldn't picture people getting that bad, and certainly not that fast. That nagging voice inside me must have, though. That's why I was so pig-headed about not waiting around in the city. I sure didn't want to be stuck down there if riots did break out, like we heard about on Isabel's radio. That kind of trouble always seemed to happen someplace else, she said to herself. Do you think things will get that bad up here? I don't think we'll see any riots around here. He couldn't picture a riot in Cheshire. The little rural towns still had some of the old self-reliant Yankee farmer ethos. Despite the decades of dilution by soft city people who had made the farm villages bedroom communities of Boston or Manchester, The worst Martin could picture things getting in Cheshire was some loud whining by the unemployed city people having to endure evenings without cable TV. Riots in Cheshire? Martin shook his head. There might be some riots in Manchester or Portsmouth, he said. They have their share of entitled residents. I suppose no place is ever totally safe from trouble, but Cheshire is way out of people's way. I remember reading newspaper articles where people bemoaned the lack of tourism business because Cheshire wasn't on any of the main highways times like this i think that curse will be a blessing i sure hope you're right being out of the way sounds great she said i've had more than my fill of being in the middle of the action yeah, me too he patted the duct tape across the front of his jacket what this road goes uphill again susan said I thought we were over the top of the hill back there. Yeah, this little dip is deceptive, Martin said. Let's take a little rest before we start up. He pointed to a scruffy patch of yard beside a detached garage. Susan laid on her back and blew out a long breath. I've never felt so tired in my life, she said. My legs ache, my feet hurt, even my arms ache. Why would my arms ache? All we're doing is walking.' I know we haven't been eating or sleeping properly, but still. I feel extra beat, too, said Martin. She had a point. Granted, he was not in the best condition. He felt more exhausted than a several-mile walk should have made him. Then a cold shiver ran down his back. Carbon monoxide. Uh, listen, maybe we got a dose of monoxide back there. Susan sat up. Really? I tried to hold my breath, but I know it didn't always work. I didn't think a couple of breaths would matter. Well, me either, but now I'm thinking maybe it did. So what do we do? We can't just lay here beside this garage. No, I don't think we're all that bad. We're out in the fresh air. I think if we just take it easy, take more breaths the rest of the way, we'll be okay. Probably really tired, but okay.